Tyler Frary from the Frary and Smith podcast to talk about the Sun Belt today, also known as the Fun Belt. Make sure to listen. We have a great episode with Noah. Also, if you like the content, make sure to view the walkonredshirts.com. Like, subscribe, rate our podcast. All of that helps us just grow and build our community. So without further ado, here's Noah Frary. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Walk on Red Shirts. Today I have Noah from Frary and Smith. Uh, Sunbelt Focus Podcast does a lot of work down there. If you're not following them already, go ahead and follow them. Noah, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Jake, looking forward to uh, chopping it up and talking uh, some Sunbelt football. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so like I said, Noah uh, is with Frary and Smith. Does a lot of Sunbelt stuff, so we brought him in as he is the expert here. I watch Sunbelt football, but I'm going to be honest. I know the big names. I don't dig into it as much as other people do. Uh, so I want to start with a couple preseason headlines. So for us as the general watchers that we are of college football, we all know who Coastal Carolina is. Jamie Chadwell leaves. Grace McCall's back. You know, what do people think of the Tim Beck hire? Yeah, I think a lot of people are really excited about the Tim Beck hire. Obviously, he's he's very different than Jamie Chadwell. That program over the last couple of years has become known as one of the you know premier group of five uh, teams. But it was run very loosely. There was a lot of uh, you know fun things that happened in the locker room and, and and other things. And Tim Beck comes in with a mindset of a a true power five coach. Um, you know, he's coached some of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think of Devin Leary. Uh, last year, Sam Ellinger at Texas in years past, uh, you know, even a guy like Joe Burrow during his time at Ohio State. So he brings a different mentality. And I think what people are really excited about with this hire is just some of the changes that he's made. I know talking with the players, there's been an increased emphasis on, you know, hitting the weight room this offseason and getting stronger so that they can play a complete football season. Uh, they've improved what these players are eating. And then you know, you mentioned it. They're bringing back a lot of their talent, including a three-time conference player of the year at quarterback. So I think there's a lot of people who think, well, Jamie's gone. Uh, this team could have a drop-off. But I think when you really break it down, uh, this is actually a coastal team that really could make some noise this year in the Sun Belt in the first year under Tim Beck. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot more to it than just Grayson McCall. People see the name and they just assume that it you have a good quarterback, so all, this, all of a sudden you're going to automatically be a good team. But as we know in college football, it goes a lot deeper than just a quarterback. If you have a great quarterback, but you have a terrible offensive line and no weapons, you know they're not going to be able to do anything for you. And it seems like Jamie Chadwell was building something before he left there. So Tim Buck's coming into a good situation because of all that. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, you know, specifically looking just at offense for Coastal Carolina, you have arguably the number one wide receiver in the conference and Sam Pinckney, who had played at Georgia State, had a big year last year in his first year at Coastal Carolina. You've got another guy like Jared Brown and then another guy, Tyson Mobley, who's kind of gone under the radar. They've got all four running backs back. That offensive line, uh, you know, loses a couple of guys, but largely intact. Some new guys coming from the transfer portal. So offensively, uh, Coastal is going to look very similar to the team from last year in terms of personnel. I would expect them to maybe have a slightly different offense this year. Maybe not as much of that, you know, almost, you know, play action run that we saw under Jamie Chadwell. Expect to see Grayson McCall running less, throwing more. And uh, that could lead to a lot of fun things uh, for Coastal fans this year. So digging into a couple other teams, because we know Coastal is one of the most prominent names 
just because of where they've been the last couple of years. Yeah. But South Alabama and Troy are probably quietly two of the best teams in the conference that people don't realize across the country. Yeah, it's really interesting, and you're spot on right there. I look at South Alabama and Troy as two teams that, you know, really surprised some teams last year. Obviously, you have a, uh, a South Alabama team that goes on to win 10 games, which was the most in program history. Uh, and then you look at that Troy team who, you know, everyone remembers that loss back in, you know, early in the season on the Hail Mary out of the hands of Chase Bryce. But, you know, quietly after that, they put together just a stellar run. They end the season on an 11-game winning streak and, and take down – uh, UTSA in the Cure Bowl, a ranked opponent, and Troy ends the season ranked. And man, you look at those two teams coming back this year, and you know, I know me and my co-host Caden Smith talk a lot about uh, the fact that it feels like a two-team race in the West right now. And I think South Alabama, when you specifically look at them, uh, they're bringing back 18 starters from last year's team that had 10 wins. Do they have a challenging schedule here at the beginning? Yes, they do. But if they can accomplish those things and play well against teams like Tulane, who they open the season against in Oklahoma State in week three, suddenly this is a South Alabama team that, you know, could be the odds on favorite to go to a New Year's Six Bowl and make a run similar to what we saw from Tulane last season. So there's a lot of really good teams in that West. I think Troy lost a lot of pieces from last year's team, but they've been able to replace some of those areas. I think their offense will be better. Uh, so, yeah, I would have to agree with you. I think right now on paper, Troy and South Alabama heading into the season have to be amongst some of the favorites in this conference. And I don't think people realize South Alabama or my bad. Yeah, South Alabama was five points away from going undefeated in the regular season. A one point loss on the road at UCLA and then a four point loss at home against Troy. They're a touchdown away from starting the season 12 and 0 and then going to the conference championship. Yeah, it, it really is incredible. We just actually had Kane Womack on the podcast uh, the other day, and you know he talked about that, that they were five points away. And, and what you're realizing, and it has been interesting, we've had every uh, Sunbelt head coach on the podcast leading into this season, and the growing theme has been how tough it is to win games in this conference and how so often you know singular plays or groups of five plays can make the difference. And you know, for South Alabama, you're right. If you simply kick a field goal uh, uh, in that game against UCLA, you probably beat UCLA. Um, you know, Troy, you you lose by four points, but you're arguably without your your best offensive weapon in Ladamian Webb. So, yeah, it's the margin for error is very slim in college football, and uh, there's a lot of really good teams that you know it comes down to four or five plays throughout the uh, the course of the season. Yeah, and so one of the teams that might be one of the best teams in the conference as well is James Madison. You know, they ended up getting ranked at one point last season, but ineligible for postseason play because of the transition from FCS to FBS. You know, what is the vibe in the conference about what James Madison brings? You know, they're playing a 12-game season this year. Like, what is the vibe around James Madison and in the conference? Yeah, I mean, last year you mentioned it and you touched on it. It was, you know, quite the season. That's a James Madison team that in the preseason poll last year, they were picked sixth in the conference um, simply because they were the newcomers. A lot of people scoffed at that inside of that program and, and, and said, we're going to change some people's minds. And they went out and did just that. You go eight and three. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, in week six, they were ranked uh, top 25 in the country just six weeks into their transition into the FBS. That's a powerhouse program from the FCS level. They came in, uh, they waited their turn almost 12 years since they really started this process of preparing themselves to be good from the onset in FBS football. 
and they were just that. And, you know, I think really where you can tell that there has been a mindset shift among league coaches is this year, despite being ineligible for the conference championship, once again, because of those, you know, what I would almost call archaic transition rules. Um, they were picked as the preseason favorite in that Sunbelt East, and they were picked as the favorite despite losing the conference's offensive player of the year in Todd Santeo last year, losing you know, two all-timers in Percy A.J. Obese and Chris Thornton at the running back and wide receiver position. So that's a James Madison team. They clearly uh, had a lot of teams betting against them last year, and there will not be teams betting against them this year and expect them to make a lot of noise in that Sunbelt East and perhaps create some chaos uh, because they can't go, um, you know, compete for the conference championship. There is a small slim chance that they could get to a bowl game. If there isn't enough bowl teams, then they would have a chance. But uh, certainly James Madison looks primed for another big season at the FBS level. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you said, you know, they were a powerhouse at the FCS level. So them coming up to FBS, it's not that a surprise that they are continuing to have that success because they are in a talent rich area of the country. So they are able to find excellent players in the DC area, Virginia, and I think that's just going to continue for them in the Sun Belt. And I think in the next 10 years, you're going to see them in the upper half of the conference more than 50% of the time. Yeah, I would I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I think back to media days a year ago when um, Kurt Signetti basically made the comment at the podium his first media days. It's not a matter of if, but when we'll run the Sun Belt. And when you look at um, you know the budget that they bring into this conference, nearly $60 million is that athletic budget, which is you know, almost double some of the other large contenders in this conference. Um, they will have staying power and James Madison uh, will be a force to be reckoned with in Sunbelt football uh, for many years to come. So I want to move into who some of the key players are in this conference, because, you know, for people that casually watch, catch the weeknight game, you know, they're not going to know who a lot of these players are besides Grayson McCall. So don't really want to touch on him. Frank Gore Jr. is another really big name in the conference because of who his dad is. And yeah. he's also been very successful at Southern Miss. Um, you know, a couple of the other players I wrote down here, I have Nate Noel, the running back at App State, Carter Bradley, the quarterback at South Alabama, and Richard Gibner. I don't know if that's how you say it, but he's the edge rusher at, slash bandit at Troy. You know, who are some of the key players that are, you're looking at in the conference this year? Yeah, I think that's uh, a great list that we've kind of gotten started with, but uh, there's certainly many more than that. I think, you know, simply at the running back position, you know, you mentioned Frank Gore Jr. and Nate Noel. Uh, you've got guys like Rasheen Ali, who two years ago ran for 23 touchdowns as a freshman at the FBS level. Uh, he missed last season because of injury. He's back healthy and expect him to have a big year. I think of another guy like LaDamian Webb, the running back at South Alabama, who um, you know, transfers in from Florida State after an up and down career there. Uh, he runs for over a thousand yards last year, was really a difference maker. Um, you know, and I could continue to go on and on. A guy like Kamani Vidal at, at Troy, and those are just guys in the running back position. It's loaded. You look at the quarterback position, you mentioned guys like Grayson McCall, Carter Bradley, uh, a guy like Camp Fancher at, at Marshall, a young guy who came in halfway through the season last year, goes six and one as a starter. I think of Gunnar Watson, who uh, has done a lot of work on his body, the quarterback for Troy, uh, this offseason to improve. He was the conference's championship game MVP last year. Expect him to have uh, a big season. And then really, I think what is going under talked about a little bit is just how good the wide receivers are in this conference. I mentioned Sam Pinckney earlier in this episode, the wide receiver at Coastal Carolina, Jared Brown as well. 
you look at South Alabama, they've got Devin Boyson. You've got Colin Lacey, both guys uh, who picked up a lot of preseason hype this year. Uh, Georgia Southern, they will probably have one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country this year because of the offense they run. Uh, guys like Derwin Burgess and Caleb Hood there. And then, you know, switching sides of the football on, on defense, you mentioned Richard Jubinar there for Troy. He's kind of part of a, a three-headed monster there, TJ Jackson and some others. Um, I think of Marshall and, and their big defensive end, Owen Porter, who's probably going to be an NFL draft pick. Um, come this upcoming April, he's a guy who's playing in his sixth year, decided to come back, hometown kid. Uh, he's going to be an exciting piece. I look at linebacker where you have a guy like Jason Henderson who plays for Old Dominion, who uh, you know led the nation in tackles last year. And, and without an injury that he sustained late in the season, he would have broken the all-time record for tackles in a season. Uh, a guy at Georgia Southern like Marcus Trent Watson, um, who – you know, will be a game wrecker, had over 130 tackles a season ago. And then, you know, cream of the crop in this conference, you have got some fantastic players uh, in the secondary. You know, when you look at South Alabama, you have a guy like Yam Banks, who was a consensus All-American a season ago. Um, looking at Southern Miss, a guy like Jay Stanley, who had five interceptions last season, uh, switching over to kind of that East or staying in the West, rather, uh, you know, a guy like Reddy Stewart, who was the number two cornerback in the country last year for the Troy Trojans. And then, you know, out east, again, a number of, of really talented guys, a guy like Micah Abraham, a guy who, or who plays for Marshall, um, you know, for James Madison, look at a guy like Chauncey Logan. They've also got a couple of really talented linebackers in, in, in Jalen Walker and Torres Jones. So the list goes on and on and on. Um, there's so many talented players, and that was part of the reason me and my co-hosts uh, Caden Smith started the Prairie and Smith podcast was there's so many great players, great teams and storylines that are just not being told um, about this level. And we're trying to stand in that gap a little bit because there is so much talent in these players deserve to be talked about. Uh, they're putting up numbers with some of the best players in uh, the power five. So uh, that's kind of just a primer. There's there's plenty more in this conference. And, you know, it has it has truly become one of the premier, if not the premier group of five conferences. And so as college football begins to change and realignment uh, changes kind of the fabric of college football, uh, the Sunbelt Conference is kind of standing in that gap as the traditional uh, college football model. And it's definitely worth tuning in on Saturdays to watch these days. The conference has the nickname the Fun Belt for a reason. And with the teams that are in here, there's no doubt that these games will be exciting. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, it got that it got that mantra because back in the day, you would see a lot of high scoring games. Uh, the biggest shift that we have seen, though, in the conference is you see a lot of really good defenses. And there, yeah, a team like Troy last year that averages, you know, given up, I believe it was sixteen or seventeen points per game. A Marshall team that was much the same. So yes, it's still called the Fun Belt. Uh, you're not seeing as many of those high scoring affairs that maybe people fell in love with, uh, but there's still a lot of really great games, really great teams. And maybe we're starting to see the offense kind of come back a little bit with teams like Georgia Southern and now Texas State uh, under G.J. Kinney. Those two are, are going to put up a lot of points this season. Yeah, it's interesting when you look through the defensive statistics because, you know, a lot of us just look at it from surface level, but a lot of the major categories you know scoring defense rushing defense this conference had a lot of appearances in the top 10 and it wasn't just one or two teams you're talking like four or five teams that made appearances whether it be you know sacks whether it be you know uh 
defensive you know points allowed. It, oh, even inter- inter- interceptions. All you, I mean, you're 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 spot on as you look at this conference. Um, you know, you look at a James Madison defense that was in the top ten in in rushing yards against last year. They were actually number two, only behind Georgia. Uh, Marshall, you look at Troy, South Alabama had a huge year, uh, Southern Miss, I think that defense had 44 sacks a season ago. So you're spot on there, Jake. There are so many talented defenses in this conference, and it oftentimes gets under-talked about uh, because people are used to the old, you know, fun belt, high-scoring games. But uh, this conference has really transformed itself into uh, a, a very complete conference on both the offense and defensive side of the football. So I want to start digging into a couple of the teams. Yeah. Uh, I want to start at Coastal Carolina because what are the expectations for Tim Beck in year one? You know, we, we know what they bring back, but what is the expectation for Tim Beck? Because year one usually is a transition year for a coach, but losing a Jamie Chadwell puts it in a different light. Yeah, I think the expectations, if you talk to Coastal Carolina, the coaching staff's going to tell you take it a, a game at a time. Uh, we hear that way too many times in the media here at the beginning of the season, but they're very confident in this group. I think offensively, they think they might have one of the top offenses in the conference. Defense is a big question mark for Coastal Carolina. They were dreadful a season ago. Uh, they lost some key pieces from that defense. A guy like Josiah Stewart, uh, you know, who transfers to Michigan and a couple of other uh, defensive backs that are now playing in the NFL. But, you know, for the large portion, that defense was bad. I think when you look at that Coastal Carolina team, you're going to expect a good offense. You need to see improvement from that defense. But, I think it's championship or bust uh, for Coastal Carolina uh, this year. You've got Grayson McCall back in what will probably be his final season. I know he wants to end on a high note. Um, They make it to the conference championship game last year. They lose that. You lost the game at the end of the year to James Madison in the bowl game. I chalk a lot of that up to just the distraction that was the coaching carousel uh, that ultimately led Jamie Chadwell to Liberty. But um, I think Coastal Carolina is primed to make more noise in that Sunbelt East division. They play the weakest, uh, second weakest schedule, rather, according to Phil Steele, in the conference. So there's a chance for them uh, to put wins uh, next to their name and, and be a force to be reckoned with, as we've come to expect uh, in previous seasons. Yeah, I agree with you. They, they feel like they need to be making that conference championship with what they have. Uh, new coach doesn't mean that they can't make the conference championship game or win the conference championship. Yeah, would definitely uh, would echo all of that about Coastal Carolina. So the next team I want to jump to is Marshall because they made an absolute splash in September. You know, they go on the road, they beat Notre Dame in week two, and everybody thinks that all of a sudden they are the Cinderella team. And week three, they lose on the road at Bowling Green in overtime. You know, then they lose to Troy, feels like the wheels are coming off. Notre Dame just lost to a team that's two and two that's in, you know, the group of five. But then they finish the season with five wins in a row, including wins over Old Dominion, App State, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, and then a bowl win over UConn. The defense was really good last year. The offense seemed to have inconsistencies. Where does that get fixed? And do you think that there is more consistency in the offense this year? Yeah, I think that gets fixed at the quarterback position. You know, you mentioned that Notre Dame win, and they had a guy named Henry Columbia uh, at the helm of that offense early on in the season. He ended up losing that job about three, four weeks into the season, and uh, they ended up inserting a true freshman in Cam Fancher, who comes in and goes on to lead this team to a 6-1 and one record down the stretch. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, as of right now, is going to be that week one starter. 
So they found some consistency there at the end of the season. I think for me right now, looking at that Marshall team, obviously they're getting uh, one of the best uh, group of five running backs in the country and Rashina Lee back this season. I think that's going to help them uh, tremendously. That offensive line is largely intact. Wide receiver unit a little bit um, iffy right now. They've, they've had to replace some guys, including uh, their leading receiver, Corey Gamage. But I think finding some consistency on offense would be huge for this Marshall team. They, as you mentioned, Jake, had to lean a lot on that defense last season. And, um, you know, the defense came through numerous times, but they need more help from that offense. We talked with Charles Huff on my podcast uh, last week, and, you know, he talked about the improvements that he's seen from that offense. And I think if they can take a leap offensively, uh, me and my co-host are on record with saying that this is a Marshall team that will make a lot of noise and uh, not to spoil a little bit later on in this episode, but I'm so high on Marshall. I think that they will be playing in the conference championship game um, come November this year. They just have that many good pieces. And if it all comes together, watch out for Marshall in the Sunbelt East. Yeah, I really like Charles Huff. I think he was a great hire. I think he was the right guy for Marshall after you know, the last decade or so kind of being some up and down years. I, I think he is a guy that is going to excel for however long Marshall has him and however long he stays there. I think he is a player's coach. I, I like what he brings to the table, and it wouldn't shock me in the least if they're in the conference championship game come the end of the season. Uh, so jumping to the next team, South Alabama, you know, we talked a little bit about them. It feels like they return just about every single player on this team. A team that <laughs> was excellent last year. You know, looking at my notes, you know, there's only a handful of players that left. They didn't really get rated by the transfer portal. You know, they had a couple guys that, you know, went undrafted. But it, for the most part, almost all their production is back. So what do you see in this team that they got to make improvements for this year? Yeah, it's tough to find areas of improvement for that South Alabama team. I think if we were looking for one area, it's just elevating that offense even further. And I, I think that that is well within reach. Last year, you bring in Carter Bradley, uh, the transfer from Toledo. He wins the job late in camp and goes on to have one of the better uh, seasons in South Alabama history, shatters a lot of the record books. Um, you've got LaDamian Webb back in that backfield. They're deeper there, too, with a guy like Braylon McReynolds, who's going to play a big role this season as well. Then you look at that wide receiver position. Yes, you lose Jalen Wayne. He goes and gets drafted by the Buffalo Bills. Uh, but you've got guys like Colin Lacey there. You've got uh, a guy like Devin Boyson, who, who caught nearly 900 yards last season. And then you bring in a transfer like Javon Ivory, who's a big body receiver, comes over from that Memphis football program. Uh, so South Alabama is going to be loaded on offense. Maybe offensive line is a little bit of a question mark. You lost James Jackson, the starting center from last year. So you move the right guard over into that center role. And suddenly now your offensive line looks a little bit different. But I think the coaching staff is very confident that they're going to be able to fix that. And then defensively, again, you bring back nearly every starter on that side of the defense. The D line is going to be nasty. Uh, the linebacking core will be solid. And then I will go on record by saying the secondary for South Alabama is probably amongst the best in the country. Guys like Yam Banks, who will probably get drafted, Jaden Boyson, and then you get a guy like Keith Goldman back from injury, who was an all-conference performer a season ago. So, Jake, your spot on this South Alabama team, uh, you know, basically when you add in a guy like Keith Goldman, who was a starter before the injury, they're bringing back 19 starters 
um, this year. They're the second or yeah, the second most experienced team in all of college football. So the expectations for them have to start with a conference championship. And if they can get on a roll here early on in the season, you've got a week one game against Tulane on the road. And then you go to Oklahoma State in week three. If this South Alabama team gets on a roll, watch out for them because they could be going into a conference championship game, perhaps undefeated. And if they win that, we're talking about them playing in a New Year's Six Bowl game similar to what we saw Tulane do a season ago. Yeah, and if they do go undefeated, they'd certainly deserve that because a game at Tulane, a game at Oklahoma State, a game at James Madison, at Troy, you know, most of their games are on the road. So if they're able yeah. to win those tough games on the road, by God, they deserve to be there. Now, they do get Marshall at home. But, you know, having four of your five toughest games on the road does not make your schedule any easier, especially starting on the road against a team like Tulane, who just beat USC in the Cotton Bowl last year. Yeah, this the path certainly not easy for South Alabama. The coaching staff knows that, but um, they're confident in what they have. They brought back both of their coordinators. Uh, this is a South Alabama team uh, with championship aspirations in the Sun Belt this year. That week one game against Tulane, feels like must-watch football because usually we don't get good matchups. This may not have the star power that most people expect, but it feels like it's a, a destiny game with whoever wins has a really good shot of making that appearance in the New York Six Bowl. Yeah, I'm on record with calling that the premier group of five game this season, and it, and it just so happens to happen in week one. I think you have a South Alabama team that's going to use that as a measuring stick um, you know, obviously you look at that, that Tulane team, they've lost some pieces from last year's magical run. So it will be a very good litmus test early on in the season for South Alabama. And that one will certainly be must watch television. It'll be on ESPN. Uh, so certainly if you're a fan of the group of five, that is a game that you are going to want to circle and make time in your schedule for. Honestly, if you're a fan of college football in general, you should watch it. Yeah, game because that, week that's one great. doesn't tend to have great matchups. And here you are with a premier matchup in week one. May not be the exact teams that you think they're going to be, but guess what? Watch this game. It won't disappoint. So jumping over the next team, Troy. You talked about Troy already, how they finished the season insane. They win their last you know, 11 games of the season. You know, their defense was one of the was stout. You know, they beat South Alabama at 10 to 6 game. It feels like the winner of that game is going to make their appearance in the Sun Belt Championship. Am I wrong? No, I think you're you're spot on right there. I think looking at the West, and we'll touch on a couple of more teams in a moment, but I look at teams like Louisiana and Southern Miss that maybe could make some noise. But Jake, you're spot on. This is a two-team race in the Sun Belt West uh, when, as we're sitting here right now between Troy and South Alabama. Don't correct me if I'm wrong here. If you want to, you can. But I believe that game is either November 2nd or 3rd, maybe even the 4th. It's it's right uh, in there. But Thursday that, night, the 2nd. Yeah, so Thursday night, the 2nd. That game will be on national television. And, and that game will, in fact, probably decide um, who comes out of that Sunbelt West, similar to what we saw last year, although that game last year was in the middle of October. Um, it will be a star-studded matchup this year. It'll be up in, in Troy, Alabama. I think it's a game that I'm going to try to make it to. It's just too good to pass up. Um, but that Troy team, you know, offensively, I think they're going to be better this season. Uh, but defensively is where I'm most concerned. You, you lose a lot of big-name pieces and program legends. A guy like Carlton Marshall, who breaks the NCAA record for career tackles a season ago. You lost some guys... Uh, in that back end of the secondary and just a lot of glue pieces on that roster from last year's championship team. That was a 
stacked senior class that now they will have to replace. They're going to be really good on the defensive line. I expect them to still be really good in the secondary. I mentioned Reddy Stewart, another guy like Del Pettis, who's their safety, uh, will play huge roles this year. The linebacking core, definitely a bit of a question mark right now for me, but if that defensive line can be as good as we're expecting it and that secondary maintain the level that they played at last year, I think they have some pieces that can help maybe bridge that gap at the linebacker role. But this is a Troy team. They're coming in hot. They've won 11 games in a row. They have championship aspirations. And certainly just because they've lost all these players, you should not be counting them out. Yeah, that uh, game against South Alabama is going to be much watched TV, especially being a Thursday night. It's a great Thursday night game for all of us. Fun belt so, Thursdays. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Appalachian State might be one of the most recognizable names in college football because of their win against Michigan years and years ago. But they have maintained the ability to upset teams like they did last year against Texas A&M. But they still managed to only go 6-6 six and six last year. Chase Bryce is now gone. You know, the former uh, what, Clemson and Duke quarterback, he was bounced around for a while, um, ended up at uh, Appalachian State through for 9,000 yards. What is it going to take for Appalachian State to get to the upper half of the conference this year? Yeah, I think it's actually easier than maybe most people are thinking. I think what most people don't realize is when you go back and you look at that App State season last year, I believe the number was five, and that is games that they lost uh, by less than seven points. So, yes, you finished six and six last year. You know, you touched on it, Jake. You had that magical run at the beginning of the season where, you know, you had that 63 to 61 game against UNC, and then you go down and you beat Texas A&M, the sixth-ranked team in the country, uh, and then you host college game day. You win on that Hail Mary. And I think the biggest thing that hurt Troy last year is they drank the Kool-Aid early on in the season, and it was easy to do. Um, that program was getting more hype than any program at this level has ever gotten. And so I think that they just were not able to manage that. But again, you look at all these close losses and, and if a couple of those had gone app States way, suddenly they were competing for a Sunbelt championship. And that's the expectation up on the mountain and that, you know, the play people around those, that program. And I've gotten kind of a front row seat because my co-host Caden Smith was an all conference safety there as recently as last year. And it's, it's been really neat to kind of get an inside look. They expect to win championships. Looking at that team this year, they've got some deficiencies in a couple of areas, most notably the linebacking core with several guys heading to the NFL or ending their college career. But offensively, we mentioned Nate Noel earlier. Uh, he's, he should be electric once again after missing a lot of time with injury last year. Wide receiver core is going to be huge. But Jake, I think right now what it comes down to for App State is can they find consistency uh, at the quarterback position kind of after life after Chase Bryce? They've got Ryan Berger, uh, who was with the program a season ago, battling. They've got Joey Aguilar, who's uh, the top JUCO transfer in. So those guys are going at it. The one thing that we can expect to see is we're going to see more of a dual threat quarterback this year for App State, which is what we have come to expect in years past. They're going to lean heavily on the run game and expect to see an improved defense. They've made some changes in scheme. They're, you know, going much bigger at the defensive line position this season. And then the secondary uh, should be strong as well, aided by a couple of transfers and some guys, you know, that are hangovers from some of those championship teams. But that's an App State team that prior to last year, they had never missed a bowl game since joining the FBS. They had had three consecutive 10 plus win seasons. 
And I'm expecting App State to kind of reinsert themselves into that title conversation this year in the Sunbelt East. Absolutely. I, I think fans would enjoy seeing App State at the top. They had kind of stole everyone's heart when they beat Michigan. And it seems like most fans still have a soft spot for Appalachian State. Uh, so Frank Gore Jr. is probably one of the most recognizable names in this conference because of who his father is and his father played for 30,000 years in the NFL. He is the star running back at Southern Miss. But what else can you tell us about this team? Because it's, it goes deeper than one player. Yeah, certainly, you know, Frank Gore Jr. is the headliner there. You know, he ends last season by setting an NCAA record, rushing over for over 300 yards in that bowl game against Rice. Uh, had the viral moment where he told his auntie to chill after the game on the post-game interview that everyone remembers. But you're right, this is a Southern Miss football team that has a lot of really nice pieces, I think, particularly at the skill position. You've got some really good wide receivers in Jacarius Kasten and Ty Mims that are going to make noise. Uh, the proof is in the pudding when it comes to wide receivers at Southern Miss. You've got a guy like Jason Brownlee, who you've probably seen pop up on your Twitter feed in the last week for some of the uh, ridiculous catches he's making uh, up at New York Jets training camp, catching balls from Aaron Rodgers. But the big question mark for me and the continued storyline this offseason in regards to Southern Miss is that this is a team that has gotten suboptimal quarterback play every year since Will Hall has been there. And this team, when you look at them, the defense is stout. I mentioned the weapons on offense. They're bringing back a lot on the offensive line as well as that defensive line. They have the makings of a championship caliber football team. But right now, they are purely a quarterback away. They've got a big battle going on right now between Pullman Edwards, who spent some time at Houston as kind of a backup um, at that Houston program. Billy Wiles is also in the conversation. He was a former walk-on at Clemson who earned a scholarship. Uh, he's now with Southern Miss. It's kind of a two-headed race right now. Neither of those guys bring a lot of college experience to the table. Uh, but if, if Southern Miss can catch lightning in a bottle with either Billy Wiles or Holman Edwards, watch out for that team in the West because they have the standout defense. They have the strong skill players. Uh, and when you're looking at football teams, you know, those are the things you look at. I think the only other thing that could hurt Southern Miss this year, ESPN just ranked them amongst the worst or hardest non-conference schedules in college football. They're going to go to Florida State. They've got a date with Mississippi State. They also host Tulane at home. So not easy. Uh, I expect Southern Miss to get back to a bowl game, but unless the quarterback situation improves dramatically, I'm not believing in them to be in that conference championship. Yeah, that, uh, that is brutal playing Florida State, Mississippi State at the end of the season, and then Tulane right there at the beginning as well. You got to hope that you can figure out a way to win one of them just to help for confidence sake. Um, the rest of the conference, tell me who are some other teams that people should be on the lookout for. Yeah, I think a team like Louisiana, I mean, prior to last year, again, similar to App State, they had won 10-plus football games uh, in the last three seasons. Obviously, Billy Napier's not there any longer, and when he left, a lot of the talent left as well. But that's a program that has really rebuilt themselves last season and now into this year. Expect them to you know, maybe make some noise. I look at a Texas State program, too. They brought in over 50 transfers, their new head coach, C.J. Kinney. Um, he orchestrated the best offense in the FCS last year when he coached at Incarnate Word. So certainly exciting on that end. And 
I think really the the team that we're that we're really missing that we've talked about here is Georgia Southern. Uh, they are a team that you know Clay Helton took from a triple option attack to a true air raid attack, and and the proof was certainly in the pudding. They took Nebraska down early on in the season last year on the road in Lincoln. Uh, they beat App State in overtime at the end of the season to get into a bowl game. You lose that bowl game to Buffalo, but. Uh, you know, really, they're bringing a lot of pieces back at the wide receiver position. Davis Brin, who transferred in from Tulsa, is going to be the day one quarterback trying to replace Kyle Vantrese. They bring in a new defensive coordinator this offseason, Brandon Bailey, who was actually with that Buffalo program. And they're really trying to rebuild themselves defensively. So much like teams like Southern Miss and Marshall, for me, this is a Georgia Southern program that I think could make a lot of noise the schedule lines up nicely for them. And if they get rolling early on, watch out for Georgia Southern. They could be an eight, nine, maybe even a 10 win football team and really make a lot of noise in that Sunbelt East. But some things have to go right. But that's a team that I think a lot of people are going to know their name by the end of the season. Week three at Wisconsin could be a very interesting matchup with Wisconsin getting a new coach, putting a new system in place. You know, year two under Clay Helton, you know, there's a chance that he could go up and make some noise. I'm not saying that he could win, but. You know, at halftime, don't be surprised if we're sitting at a seven or ten point game and you know, Georgia Southern's right in the midst of it. Yeah, I mean, they proved that they can win on the road last year uh, in one of the best environments in college football in Nebraska. Uh, Luke Fickle, obviously, is a new head coach at Wisconsin, expecting big things from uh, the Badgers this year. But yeah, Jake, I don't think it's out of the question that um, Georgia Southern hangs with them. If you win that game, suddenly Georgia Southern has just vaulted them purely, vaulted themselves purely into the conversation uh, to be playing in that Sun Belt uh, championship game come December. So, want to get your prediction? Give me your East winner, your West winner, and then the overall conference champion. Yeah, I think uh, you know on the Prairie and Smith podcast as we got set to uh, you know head into the season, I made a prediction. I really like South Alabama in that Sun Belt West. I think uh, with all the experience coming back, uh, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. So give me South Alabama in the West. Marshall uh, in the East is a really enticing, maybe underdog pick right there. Coastal Carolina will obviously be in the conversation. I'm expecting a bounce back from App State, but. For me right now, my pick was Marshall versus South Alabama in that conference championship game. I had South Alabama winning it. Uh, and so that's kind of where I'm leaning uh, right now in terms of the Sun Belt in 2023. Marshall is plus 790, at least according to what I have right here uh, to win the conference. And that seems like some pretty good value if that's what you're uh, you're saying, if you've got that much confidence. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly not a bad place to maybe take a chance. Like I said, I think Coastal Carolina is going to be right in that conversation. They're going to be, you know, kind of the darlings in the East. I think App State, uh, you know, can get back to that championship game as well. But if you're looking for some good value and believing in some of those pieces that are back, that's a Marshall program that's hungry that I think will make noise and could very easily find themselves in that conference championship game. Yeah, I'm going to go chalk and I'm going to take South Alabama over Coastal. I like you know, Coastal, I like Grayson McCall, but yeah. you know, as we've talked in South Alabama, having just so much back, you know, basically the whole team is back. It's hard to pick against that much experience. Yeah, I could not agree with you more. I think South Alabama goes into this season, in my opinion, as the favorites uh, in this league. And as we touched on earlier, the expectations are high for Kane Womack in that squad. And uh, certainly there could be uh, far greater things in their future if they can handle business throughout the season. So I have a couple fan questions here. Want to get your thoughts on these. 
you know, the first one here is should the Sun Belt be sitting easy or are they sitting on pins and needles with the conference realignment looming over college sports? And that's from Sideline Sports Georgia Southern. Yeah, it's funny because we actually posted about this on Twitter today on the Ferrari and Smith podcast Twitter account. And, um, you know, more of the topic of conversation was should the Sun Belt looking to or look to add teams um, as this new era of college football kind of changes? You know, it's funny, as I lay awake, uh, restless at night, sometimes thinking about Sunbelt football, uh, it doesn't happen that often, but it, it does happen every once in a while. Um, you know, I think that there should be a little bit of a level of concern, uh, more so that, you know, maybe one or two of your top teams eventually gets poached. I think of, you know, maybe an app state, like play this scenario out for me in the next two years, maybe, you know, Florida State and Clemson leave the ACC and suddenly now they're looking to backfill and, you know, maybe they look at programs like App State and James Madison who are already in the footprint. But I think the Sun Belt is in a really great position right now. This past offseason, we had a chance to talk to, you know, five of the top athletic directors in this conference. And, you know, all of them echoed the sentiment that they love uh, where they're at in the Sun Belt Conference, the sentiment. Jake, you and I know that money talks. And so those things could change overnight. But Right now, I feel really good about the placement of the Sun Belts. I, I truly believe that they are the premier group of five conference now that the American Conference has lost teams like Houston and Cincinnati and UCF to the Big 12. But um, the Sun Belt can make a lot of noise this year. It would be really interesting, in my opinion, if they went out and you know maybe tried to grab a team from the American. Could you get a team like East Carolina that fits perfectly in your footprint? Could you grab a team like a UAB or even a Memphis, I think that one might be a bit of a stretch. But um, if you're the Sun Belt, you're in a position of power here. You've leaned into regional rivalries, and I think that they could lean into that further. But right now, uh, Keith Gill has said, you know, that uh, expansion is not on the horizon. Uh, but that was also before we saw the wackiness that was uh, what happened this past week with several teams in the Pac-12 choosing to leave for other conferences. Yeah, I tend to agree. I don't think anything is imminent. I think it would take a trickle-down effect for there to be any sort of movement in the Sun Belt. Uh, also, it doesn't. I don't think the longevity of 18-team, 20-team conferences is going to work. So by them going to more than 14, it just doesn't make sense. And I, I don't think many commissioners are jumping at the thought of adding, you know, four, six more teams just because because you already have a contract in place you have a tv contract it just means unless it's increasing you're just splitting your share even more and it's not going to help the teams that are already in your conference yeah it's a great point that you're making right there i think what's interesting is in the next couple of years the Sun Belt will renegotiate their tv contract and say a conference like the american further gets gutted say a utsa leaves for another conference in the future um, you know, maybe suddenly the Sun Belt uh, jumps an American conference in terms of the revenue that they're getting from that TV deal. And that puts into play teams like maybe East Carolina, who, who consider coming over to the Sun Belt because of the, the regional aspect that is the Sun Belt these days. So fascinating time in college football and certainly looking forward to seeing uh, where it goes in the future. But if you put me on the spot right now, I would say that I'm not overly worried about the Sun Belt losing teams uh, because of the, the changes in conference realignment. So the next one we have is a three-part question from GSU True Blue Drew. Does Grayson McCall have his best season yet, or, or does Tim Beck's new offense tone down his stats? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. Uh, if we have learned anything in the Sun Belt, it is that you do not bet against Grayson McCall. 
He's the three-time conference player of the year for a reason. Um, you know, we had a chance to, to talk with him for about 10 minutes at Sunbelt Football Media Days. And Jake, my biggest takeaway is he's about 30 pounds heavier. Uh, if there has been one knock on Grayson McCall, there's probably been two primary knocks. I'll get to the second in a moment. But the first one is that he has not been able to stay healthy and play a complete season. He has put up, you know, ungodly numbers while he's on the field. But uh, he's missed some games at the end of the year, and that has maybe held Coastal back from winning that first Sunbelt championship in program history. Uh, the other question mark for him is just his arm. Uh, you know, a lot of people have said that he doesn't have an NFL caliber arm. So I think that's where Tim Beck's system is going to be really interesting. He's going to run the football less. He's going to throw it more. And, you know, with the weapons that I already mentioned being back, um, look for a hungry Grayson McCall throughout this season. I do believe that he can have his best season yet. And if he does just that and, answers some of these questions, stays healthy and, you know, proves that he can throw some of these deep balls in that new system. Watch out for Grayson McCall being the number one quarterback drafted uh, out of the group of five uh, this coming April. Yeah. I mean, I think that he's going to continue to do what he's been doing. He He's an experienced quarterback. Um, whether his stats actually reflect it, I still think he's going to be a great quarterback. So give me a dark horse in the East and a dark horse in the West. Yeah, I kind of already touched on it, and and I think True Blue Drew here, who's a he's a follower of the Brian Smith podcast, um, he will like what I have to say. I think Georgia Southern is a true dark horse uh, in that Sun Belt East division. I think they can make a lot of noise, especially if Davis Brin proves to be anything close to Kyle Van Trees. Uh, I mentioned Marshall too. I think is as a little bit of a dark horse there as well. And then you know out west for me, it's that Southern Miss team. If they get their quarterback position sorted out, they have the pieces on both offense and defense to make a run, and uh, they certainly have the schedule uh, to make a lot of noise. So give me Southern Misses, that dark horse team out west. And then Louisiana and Georgia Southern both have sophomore quarterbacks, second-year quarterbacks. Do they both take a step forward? Do they go into a sophomore slump? You know, what do you, what do you think out of these two? Yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, you know, I think, you know, Clay Helton's team, I, I really feel good about them, you know, taking another step forward in his second season at the helm. Uh, I'm actually heading down to Statesboro to go watch football practice there tomorrow. So uh, I'm excited to kind of get boots on the ground and be around that program a little bit. But the players love him. Uh, they just opened a new indoor practice facility. There's a lot of donor support, fan support down there. Uh, so I think Georgia Southern's due for another step forward. Uh, and I and I believe the same thing for Louisiana. We had a chance to talk to Michael Desermo on the podcast about a week ago. And, um, you know, that's a team that had to rebuild a little bit, but they like their pieces. They have their quarterback in Ben Wooldridge. And so I think uh, that's a, a Louisiana team that obviously has championship level pedigree in that program. And I would expect them to continue that march back towards that. Do I think they're going to compete for a Sunbelt championship this year? No, I don't. But I think that they can take a big step forward and, and then potentially be back to a true championship caliber football team in 2024. And then we got one more question and then I'll let you get out of here. So Jake Pendergeist asked, it's year three has been pivotal for Butch Jones and continue at his coaching tenure, Central Michigan, Cincinnati, Tennessee. Will that streak continue with his third season at Arkansas State? Man, it, it is tough to say. Um, you know, we have heard year in and year out over these last two seasons that this is the year that the young players that we have been recruiting uh, step up. That's an Arkansas State team. They've consistently brought in great recruiting classes over the last couple of years, but they've yet to translate it into wins. Just five wins in uh, the first two seasons under Butch Jones. 
looking at that roster, there just um, isn't necessarily a ton to be excited about. There are some good pieces defensively. Uh, offensively, you do get a guy like Corey Rucker back, who was an all-conference wide receiver who left for South Carolina and now returns to Arkansas State. You don't see that very often, but um, you know, the outlook is certainly tough. Uh, they won a lot of championships back in the early to mid-2000s in this league. Um, but really, since 2016, they just have not made a lot of noise. So I think that Butch Jones, you know, could you get to four wins? Could you get to five wins? And if you do that, perhaps you keep your job. But if you win two games, three games again this season, the, uh, the howls are going to be uh, very loud uh, for Butch Jones' job. Um, so not overly high on Arkansas state this season, but I do think that they have a chance, uh, you know, to maybe put things together and get to four or five wins if things roll their way. Noah, appreciate you joining the podcast. It's been great talking about Sunbelt. You definitely have taught everybody way more than they ever thought they needed to know about the Sunbelt, but it's been, ex it's going to be an exciting conference. I'm excited to watch Sunbelt football this year. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, Jake, I appreciate you having us on. Uh, we've really enjoyed, you know, kind of the opportunity to, you know, be more a part of the Sunbelt with the Prairie and Smith podcast. And, uh, you know, we continue to bring great content throughout the uh, the season. So certainly looking forward to that and appreciate the opportunity to uh, come on and, and talk about what I believe is the premier group of five conference in the country. If you're not already, go find them on Twitter, Prairie and Smith podcast. Go listen to their content. Keep up with them all season long. Noah, appreciate it. And that has been the walk on red shirts. <laughs>